When we meet someone who is secure and confident, I don't mean, and by confident, self-confident, not arrogant, but someone in a friend or a potential romantic partner who is secure in who they are and confident, that's attractive. This is episode number 543 with Dr. Ramon Presson. Five green lights to look for when dating somebody new. Such an important thing to look for the green lights. We're always talking about red lights and red flags and all the bad stuff. But how many people actually tell us what is a good thing to look for and to put the lens on to actually seek out the good right. uh, and not just the bad, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not just so, the warning signals and lights. Exactly, exactly. So really excited to have this conversation with Dr. Presson. And I want to welcome you back to Last First Date Radio, where we believe it is never too late to go in your last first date and to support you on your journey to lasting love. I wrote a book, it's called Becoming a Woman of Value, How to Thrive in Life and Love. And whether you're single or in a relationship, This book will help you be inspired to play a bigger game and succeed in all areas of life and love. And you can find it on Amazon for Kindle or paperback. This week's tip from the book is step number 14, declutter your life. We all know about decluttering our homes, but how many of us have clutter in our lives? Our friendships may not be working for us. We may be in toxic relationships in some parts of our lives, or we're not really having conversations we need to have. So my challenge to you this week is to find one area of your life that feels cluttered and declutter it. Take one step towards declutter. And before I bring on Ramon, just one last little thing, which is to join my Facebook group. It's called Your Last First Date, and it's for women over 40 who are looking for a group that is positive, supportive, and will really help you to grow on your journey to lasting love. We have seven amazing monitors who help me run this group. It is not like most groups that are out there that just go off the rails and just becomes a complaining fest. We do not allow that. This is really a wonderful group. I go live there every week and talk about topics that are relevant to dating at this stage in life. So join us there when you finish listening to this podcast episode. And now for my guest, Dr. Ramon Presson is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He has over 30 years of experience. He's in private practice in Nashville, Tennessee area, and you'll hear his accent, where he's also a regularly featured newspaper columnist. He authored a dozen books, pretty impressive, including three that were co-written with Dr. Gary Chapman, who got Dr. Gary Chapman, who you probably have heard of. He is the author of the international bestseller, The Five Love Languages. It's a book that I recommend all the time to my clients because it's really important to know your love language. So that's pretty impressive. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Sandy. Thank you for having me on the program. Let's talk about first a little bit about you. You're a marriage therapist and you're also an expert on divorce and dating. So how did did that come about? Yeah. In addition to uh, mainly being known as a a couples therapist and doing that for a couple decades, for a number of years simultaneously with, uh, with, with overlap, I was a an associate pastor in 
uh, several large churches and my primary role area of ministry was working with uh, never married adults, uh, single again adults and and single parents. So uh, I was very involved in divorce recovery and single parenting work. I was involved in the divorce care program uh, since its inception in the in the 90s back when we were using VHS tapes during the during the during the sessions. Um, plus as a relationship therapist, you end up doing relationship therapy on the continuum from you know dating and engagement, pre-engagement, premarital counseling, uh, marital counseling. And what comes with the territory too is sometimes uh, separation, uh, adjustment counseling, uh, d- divorce recovery counseling. And I've continued to be very Im- involved. Uh, in fact, I'm I'm on the currently on the divorce care uh, video curriculum. So not just with me, but it it comes with the territory of of any relationship you know, therapists that they're going to be working with adults who are dating uh, again, um, interested or not interested in, in remarriage. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense that if you're working with relationships, you're also working to help people not get divorced, to help people who've been divorced have success the next time around. And so let's go there for a moment and talk about the high divorce rate for second, third, fourth marriages. So many people just jump right back in, they make the same mistakes. So why do you believe that the divorce rate is so high in these subsequent marriages? And why is it so important to you to start to reverse the trend? My thoughts about that come from that blending of places. One as that associate pastor that was doing, you know, my primary work was with single adults and single again adults, and then in, in the couples therapy realm. What I saw and was experiencing uh, with a front row seat, and that the research bears out as well is that in second and third marriages, couples tend to have shorter courtships and shorter, if any, uh, engagement period. So the bottom line is that many are rushing the relationship to the altar. Here's what I hear about the mindset or the reasoning for not pacing it. Uh, One is, well, I'm not getting any younger. The second one is, well, because of what I've been through, difficult marriage or painful divorce, because of what I've been through, I'm I'm wiser now. And so I I know what I'm looking for as if to say, well, I'm smarter now, so I can take the short course or the mini semester instead of the full course or the full the, the full semester. And but I'm thinking because of what the person has been through, because they've been through a difficult marriage, because they've been through a painful divorce, why aren't you slowing down the train and being even more careful so that you don't experience that again? And if you know if the person has children, that the children don't 
experience that again. So one of the things that I see that baffles me quite honestly is the mindset that instead of you know s- slowing down the train and pacing the relationship, uh, making sure the person is who I think they are, making sure the relationship is, is healthy, there seems to be this, I, I can condense it because now I'm I'm smarter. I'm wiser. I know what I'm looking for. I know what to look 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 out for. Again, my my thing is. And years ago, I wrote an article titled "The Dating Speedway" and the way that we accelerate a relationship to premature intimacy and premature c- commitment. Um, I, I'm just I'm an advocate of slowing down the train to make sure that this relationship is is solid. Yeah. So slowing down is definitely important. It's interesting. I I wasn't aware that people were really moving that quickly. I know that people often don't do the work that is required to really heal, but I didn't realize they were kind of rushing through it because of they're afraid that they're getting older and that they uh, are so much smarter now, but they're not really because they keep <laughs> marrying the same person with a different face. I, I remember when my mom remarried and it was not such a short courtship, but on the outside, he looked very different from my dad. But on the inside, they had the same conflict. They had the same areas of, of conflict and the same issues because the work wasn't done. So I would love to hear from you what kind of healing is important. How do you help people who are divorced to do the healing before even starting to date again, because it's such an important piece. I met with a, with a patient today and she, she, sometimes you, you hear uh, someone say something that is a, like an indicator. Uh, It's not the litmus test, but it's a statement that reveals they're, they're in, in such a much better place. And I said to her in the session today regarding her ex-husband, it was a really nasty divorce with an affair. He ended up marrying the affair partner. It's it's bad. And I, I said to her, you remember one of the things we talked about was you getting to a place where you don't need Scott to be miserable for you to be okay and to be happy. And she said, I'm there. Being deeply hurt, being uh, angry, because anger is a response to injustice. So there, there is a legitimate and um, I think necessary and, and healthy you know, grief because there's a loss. There's a legitimate and healthy anger when there is mistreatment and, and injustice, but one of the areas where I see people need needing healing is that, that the healing from getting stuck in one of those two places, because again, those are natural, normal, healthy, and I think even necessary emotions, but someone can get stuck in the, the grief and the loss and sort of picture a, a road of health between two ditches. This ditch is the ditch of despair. This is the person that, again, it goes beyond just the grieving, but my life now 
means nothing. You know, my identity, my meaning, my purpose was so connected to that, to that marriage that in the absence of that, I'm not just missing the relationship with the person. You know, what, what's, what's the point of life? Uh, almost as though when the divorce happened, that they erected a tombstone and, and the, the date of the divorce is when my life died. And they can get stuck in that despair. On the, the other ditch is that the anger or the, the resentment and the bitterness where they just keep marinating and rehearsing the, the injustice and, and staying in that victim place. And that's not saying that they weren't victimized in some way, but if they, if they start to wear that, like that's, that's my I, I, identity. Uh, I cautioned <laughs> one of my patients was a, a year and a half after the divorce, when someone would ask about her family, uh, or about her marital status, uh, she would say, "I'm divorced. Uh, my my husband, you know, cheated on me and had an affair with his coworker." I mean, that was just <laughs> right on the tip of her tongue, which reflected, you know, it was just staying there, and that if she shares a bit of who she she is, well, you you need to know that. What, what what happened to me and what a you know terrible person and so the 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 healing a lot of the the healing is getting potentially unstuck from from one of those one of those two places those are such important pieces because so many i get the people who are dating and who are still feeling guilt um, about leaving a partner. They still feel anger, uh, anger at them, anger at themselves. I mean, there's so many ways that we can get stuck. And I remember somebody asking me, how did I move on? How did I get unstuck from my marriage? And I said, you know, I, I recognize that we were not a good partnership, that we that he wasn't a terrible person. He just wasn't good for me. And I truly believe that we were better as work partners than we were as romantic partners. Mm -hmm. Now, it, that didn't come to me in five minutes. That came to me with time and healing. But I do honestly believe that today. I, I am friendly with him. My kids are still have a close relationship with him. We live a mile from each other. But a lot of people really hold on to that victim mindset almost as a badge, like you said. And I know that somebody once shared on my on my podcast that they had a relative who said, I am never dating anyone else because I'm going to show it to him that I'm not going to move on. And it was just like, what? That's kind of self-destructive right there. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, you're not punishing. <laughs> you're not punishing the, the, the other person. Someone once said, we wouldn't worry so much about what people think of us if we realize how infrequently they're thinking of us at all. <laughs> um, so true. But, but, but this person who's you know, imagining I'm, I'm going to unnecessarily you know, stick it to my ex-spouse, there's a good chance, you, well, you're, that means you're, you're thinking about them more than they're thinking. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So you're, you know, they're, they're, you should charge them rent because they're, <laughs> you're, they've got, they're taking you know, headspace. 
So yeah, mm -hmm. you, you ought to charge, charge rent. Yeah. I think what people don't realize is that forgiveness is not condoning. It's actually for you to move on. It's for you to make peace with it and say, okay, what happened may have been really awful, but I need to move on. So I have to let go of all that anger because it's holding me back. And I think that's a huge mindset shift for people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which was a little bit of uh, this patient today being able to say, I suppose part of I guess the, the journey of forgiveness and it's not coming to a place where you know, she's minimizing, justifying, but it's, I call it the yes. And it's, you know, in the improv comedy, you know, quick, quick little detour, but in improv comedy, the, the phrase that they use with the participants, the mantra is yes. And now for her today, what she was saying is, and it was an indicator of the forgiveness is I'm learning that he doesn't need to be miserable in order for me to be okay. Cause for her, that was, that was like justice. Mm -hmm. And she, yeah, another part was I, I don't need my children to despise him in order to be okay. And she learned today in our session from the previous week that there was a forced resignation in his high level executive job. I can remember when she would have just celebrated, you know, she would have brought cake. We would have, you know, <laughs> she would have brought cake and champagne. And, you know, she's not feeling the need to, like, well, good karma has bitten you in the butt and, you know, justice. Uh, she'd been able to release that because part of what I think she learned too is that, again, forgiveness doesn't condone or, or minimize. But in, in order to hold someone in the cage of my bitterness, I have to stay a prison guard. Right. I've, I've, won, I've, I've done, I went and did a prison ministry weekend and it occurred to me, you know, the, the, the experience of the prison guards during the day isn't that much different than the inmates. And so if I insist, I'm going to hold you in the prison of my resentment and, and bitterness, one, the other person usually doesn't know, doesn't care. But in order to stay vigilant, to make sure that you don't you know, slip out of my bitterness, I have to stay in, in uniform and position. And how much different is the experience of a prison guard than an inmate? So to mm -hmm. your point, it's a pretty good deal for, for, for us, per, you know, personally, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, too. That's a you know, journey also. That I, I, one of the books that I was asked to write was uh, about, about the journey of forgiveness. And one of the things I did at the beginning was say, here are the things that forgiveness is not. It's not forgetting. Forget, forgiving doesn't mean amnesia. It doesn't mean minimizing doesn't mean, oh, you didn't mean to. It's it's okay. You didn't mean to. Yeah, it hurt. And you did mean to because you kept doing it over and over. Mm -hmm. I just did a video on fake apologies. It's kind of similar where I'm sorry, but <laughs> I'm sorry, but you know, you're too sensitive. I'm sorry, but I didn't mean to. You made me do it. <laughs> those are not apologies. <laughs> so, right. you know, learning all of these things is so important. And as you're talking about the prison, it reminded me of a show I watched on uh, uh, called The Patient with Steve Carell. Did you mm -hmm. watch mm -hmm. that? Mm -hmm. 
That was fascinating. And even the, the, the logo for the show was the words, the patient in reflection. So there's this whole interplay of who's the patient and who's the prisoner because he becomes imprisoned by uh, a serial killer. It's, it's fascinating. Mm -hmm. If anybody can watch it, it was on Hulu. Steve Carell was amazing, but he has been a prisoner of his own thoughts of his anger at his son and his misunderstanding of his son and, and that relationship. And he's able to start working through some of that as he's held prisoner. Anyway, I think, you know, just the psychology of who we are and how we can really work on these things so that we are not held prisoner by the people who are not with us anymore. And I'll just add this, what you made me think as you were saying that um, Richard Rohr said, pain that is not transformed will be transferred. It will be you know, transferred in our most immediate and closest relationships and in, in future relationships. If it's not transformed, it will be transferred. That's beautiful and so true. And I have seen it so many times how people will dump their pain out on somebody else because they haven't worked through it. And it's just not fun to be with those people. Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Music Unlimited. You can listen to over 70 million songs and thousands of playlists and stations. Plus, you can now stream your favorite podcasts like Last First Date Radio. You can listen to any song, anytime, anywhere, on any of your devices, your smartphone, your tablet, your PC or Mac, Fire TV, and any Alexa-enabled devices like the Amazon Echo. Get Amazon Music Unlimited for free for 30 days. Just head on over to getamazonmusic.com forward slash last first date to learn more and claim this offer. What are five green lights that people should look for when they're dating somebody new so they know they should continue to date them? Sure. Well, let's just, you know, admit right off the bat that there needs to be some chemistry. So I say one green light is that there is good chemistry present. There's a compatibility of interest and uh, you know, core core values, uh, a connection of personalities, and when I say that connection of personalities, doesn't mean I mean very seldom uh, for, for most couples are their personalities, their love languages, and whether you give them a personality assessment from the Myers Briggs or the Enneagram or the DISC, it's not that their personalities have to be the same. But that that sense of th th this, I, I feel comfortable. The the person's personality, our, our personalities, are um, meshing, you know, to, to together together well. And I say, because uh, I get asked this a, a lot, uh, do you, do you think that there needs to be a spark? And if by that they mean, you know, should 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 there be some physical attraction in my responses? I, I, I hope so. Now, if it's, if it's only, uh, 
phys physical attraction, then you're going to have something you know pretty pretty shallow and not and not very sustainable. And I'll just say this real quickly. I I have seen you know we talk about people coming into subsequent relationships. I've seen this happen several times where okay I got hurt by this type of person. So the pendulum swings is is different as it can be. I had uh, a lady who had been through a broken engagement with a college bad boy, good looking athlete. So she got her heart broken. And then she met a guy who was, in her words, safe. She knew he she hung the moon to him. She knew he was a person of, of integrity. He adored her, worshiped her. She knew he won't, he won't, he won't cheat on me. And the word she used was safe, but she wasn't, wasn't attracted to him physically or really his personality. So she swung from, okay, I got hurt by a sexy, dangerous guy. So her next serious relationship was the safe person that she didn't really feel a, a chemistry with. Yeah. So yeah, there needs to be a spark. I think there needs to be some some chemistry. Mm -hmm. um, the, the second one, so if the first is good chemistry is present, then a healthy confidence is present, uh, is prevalent. I like to say that being when we meet someone who is secure and confident, I don't mean, and by confident, self-confident, not arrogant, but someone in a friend or a potential romantic partner who is secure in who they are and confident, that's attractive. Someone who is, and I really, I get it. We're all broken in some way, but someone who is, really still still broken and needy thus not secure um that that's 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 not attractive that will be the person will feel um ultimately sort of drained by that and constantly have to having to reassure the person uh yes you're enough you're enough um or the other one because I said, you know, self-confidence doesn't mean, you know, arrogance. Because if if being overly needy is draining, then someone who's who's arrogant and self-centered is 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 like a repellent. It's 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 off-putting. Um so is the person that I'm becoming interested in, do they they seem secure and, and confident in who they are. I think it's a good question to ask ourselves. Mm -hmm. to, am, am I, it's not that, okay, well, I've, I've got all my stuff together. We're, you know, I, I said to someone today, yeah, we all, all of us should be wearing that yellow tape that says under construction, right? But am I, for the most part, a, a secure person in and who I am and, and confident because that will be attractive to other people as well. Yeah. 
the the third thing so good chemistry healthy confidence uh solid character uh as a couples therapist i have frequently had the experience of trying to teach coach communication habits skills and i realized years years ago that <clears throat> trying to teach an individual communication skills if there's really a deficit in character you're, you're trying to build the building on a foundation that doesn't exist you can't if there's a character issue and one of the you know, my aha was i was teaching trying to teach the couple and him particularly uh conflict resolution skills and realize I'm, I'm dealing with a pathological liar. Mm -hmm. We're, we're putting up lumber and glass and steel when there's, there's not a foundation to, to support it because until he's willing, ironically, to get honest about his lying <laughs> and get, and get mm -hmm. help. So again, it's not that we're, uh, we're not perfect people. We're not going to be in relationship with perfect people. But one of the things I see sometimes is that particularly if, if the romantic feelings are, are, are fluttering, the, the willingness to overlook some yellow flags or red flags in, in, in character, when you, you're getting to know someone and the signals suggest this is a person of of integrity. Um, they they from what I can tell they they tell the truth. Uh, they follow through. There there's there's a reliability, um, and it takes and this is part of that thing about pacing the relationship because I can. I, I, Chris Rock one time said that when you first meet someone, you're not meeting them, you're meeting their PR representative. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you know we're we're putting on our best. So, uh, yeah, so yeah, I just wanted character. to say with with the communication skills and somebody who lacks character, I think the other piece of that that I've seen is somebody who leads with their ego and doesn't have humility, the humility to say I'm wrong, the humility to say I can listen to you. I don't need to interrupt. I don't need to be on the defensive. When you talk, I can hear you. I mean, just to be able to hear somebody. Um, so communication skills are, they're complex. You know, I think that people don't realize how important our words are, how important conflict resolution is. I specialize in this area because it's such an important thing, but I, I you know, curious what you think about the whole ego thing. Yeah, because one, th you know, one of the things that you said in connecting that is that, I, I connect humility and listening. Uh, now I, I, I get it. There are some, um, if they're, you know, their personality, they're, they're very extroverted. And, and so in a, in a social gathering, you know, they're sort of the, the, the life of the party. And it's a powerful thing to really feel listened to uh, that, that, that attention that says, you matter, so I I, I I want to hear you. 
but uh, humble people, well, I'll say that proud people are not great listeners, arrogant or ego, because what I have to say, my thoughts, my opinions are more important than, than yours. So I'm, I'm the one that needs, needs, needs to talk. Um, I like how Larry King was asked about his interviewing uh, philosophy. And he, he said, um, I, I never learned anything while I was talking. Humility connected with listening, but also you mentioned a, a apology because proud people uh, don't apologize because I, I don't think I, yeah, I don't think I either really have anything to apologize for or there's a concern because you know, pride is also concerned a little bit with losing leverage and power. So if I, if I apologize, I admit that I'm wrong. Am I going to be losing some, 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 some leverage in, in the relationship? And so I, I go so far as to say, if, if someone, if you're in relationship with, with someone who just cannot and refuses to apologize, that's not a safe person. It's it's not it's not a safe person, and it's not your job to um, <laughs> tell you. I I hear this. I hear this. Some version of this a lot, but he or she has potential. Oh yeah, <laughs> and I and, I, and I've said. I appreciate what you're saying, but you're getting close to making a person into a project. Yeah. I, and I say, you, can you accept this person? And, and, and here's the, the creative tension. We're always changing and growing. But I say, if you're thinking about making a commitment, can you commit to this person as they are, if they don't change a single bit? Yeah. And if you think that you can change them, you're, getting very close to making a person into a project right right that's that's not it doesn't work but it's also not fair to the other person no not at all i mean i always say don't date potential date the person Uh, in front of you right now who they are Uh is who they are right and believe them believe them i like that don't date potential (laughs) (laughs) all right so what's number four uh, emotional health, emotional health is prominent. And again, particularly if folks have, you know, gone through, you know, a painful breakup, whether a broken engagement or just a breakup or divorce. I mean, gosh, you don't, you don't get to be, you know, anything close to our age, but that we have been wounded. And so, you know, all of us could, go to the emotional airport and pick up some stuff from baggage claim that, you know, we, we need to work on. So it's, it's not, all right, well, I've, I I can only settle, you know, for, for someone who is totally healed, doesn't have any, any, any issues, but for the most part, am I seeing, and this is a little bit connected, you know, they're connected, but they're not the same character and an emotional emotional health i remember meeting the 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 lady uh, not in my counseling office but 
at a at a baby shower of all things, and she had recently been through divorce, and she was talking about dating again, and she said, "For future reference, I'm not going to be the nurse or the purse." Mm -hmm. And by nurse, she meant I'm not going to be the helper to help you. It doesn't mean that someone again has to have it all together, but I'm not going to be in a helper helpy. She was acknowledging, you know, that she had been a, a, a codependent. Mm -hmm. The purse part was, you know, I'm going to be the financially responsible one. And we were talking, you know, she wasn't looking for a man to rescue her and take care of her. And I mean, she, she was a professional. She wanted to continue working, but she's saying, I'm not going to be for future reference, the emotionally healthy one in the relationship that has to keep us afloat, afloat or the financial one that is has to own the the, the responsibility right um, but we have to take responsibility if we're dating to recognize when we fall into these roles because a lot of women will say i don't want this and then they attract it again and again or they'll attract somebody who really wants a mommy you know wants to have somebody they can rely on who's going to take care of them in that way too and it's you know, why do I always end up being the therapist? It's you, you've got to take responsibility for how you respond to somebody dumping out all their wounds on you on a first date and saying, oh my God, I have all these problems. Or you're just the listener and you're never interrupting or sharing parts of yourself. I mean, dating is filled with people who do these things, but it, the onus is on the dater to say no and to recognize when they're being pulled in because if you have a pattern like this, you're going to keep attracting those people unless you stop. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're right. You're right. And then the, the the last one, and we've touched on communication a little bit. That that positive communication is is consistent. Um, when I when I think of the communication, I just automatically my mind goes to this three pronged part of communication. It's sharing, negotiation and conflict resolution. Uh, sharing is anything on the continuum from something as trivial as this is what I have from lunch today to this is something from my childhood that I haven't told many people. Uh, another word for sharing is is disclosure. And there's all you know different levels, levels of that. Secondly is negotiation. And, and this is this is the part, Sandy, I feel like as a couples therapist, isn't doesn't get enough attention uh in uh among writing th therapists because most of the attention seems to be on conflict resolution but and what i mean by negotiation is how how a couple makes decisions how they negotiate and navigate all the differences that they bring to the table um you know in, in a business you know if you were i mean a, a negotiation inherently implies that we're starting from two different places okay if you're selling the house the the buyer thinks it's worth this much you think it's worth this what this much so you negotiate because you're starting at different places of what you're willing to sell or willing to pay or what you think the house is worth when a couple comes together there are so many differences and i want to emphasize differences do not mean incompatibilities i really believe throw this out, no extra charge. There's really only a, a, a handful of what I would say core incompatibilities. 
because I'll hear couples in my office, well, I'm not sure we're compatible. Uh, he's an introvert and I'm an extrovert. Well, then, oh my goodness, then most of the couples on the planet are probably <laughs> But there's really only a, a few, and most of those are connected to, you know, really core values, you know, moral, ethical. I had a couple that, it was an impasse, um, having children or not having children. That's hard to compromise. We're, okay, we're going to have a half a child. Uh, so, but everything else that's to me is not, that's not a core incompatibility or, or differences that can and need to be navigated and, and negotiated. And so if we teach couples how to um, negotiate, you know, more effectively, it actually heads conflict resolution off at the pass because we're, we're, we're handling it. We're, we're hand, handling it. You know, yeah. Early. It, such an important piece of healthy relationships. And I, I remember a couple that I knew who almost didn't go on their first date because he was an introvert and she was an extrovert. And he, after having some great phone conversations, he said, yeah, I don't think this is going to work. And she said, well, tell me why. And he said, well, you know, you're so extrovert. I'm so introverted. And she goes, so what do you think is going to be the problem? And he goes, well, I'm going to need some quiet time. She goes, okay, you just let me know. I'll give you quiet time. What other questions do you have? Uh -huh. And they negotiated before their first date. Now she's a coach. So she, she knew how to ask questions yeah. and she knew how to negotiate, but they went on this date and it ended up being a full day of breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and they got married. And you would look at them on paper and people would say, well, you don't belong together, but they are a fantastic couple. Right. And I, I think that when people can do this, when they can say upfront, you know, here's, here's how I act when, you know, I, I, oh, here's, here's an example. I had a couple, I was working with the woman and she was going on a vacation and she had never advocated for her needs in any relationship until she started working with me. And I said, well, what do you need from him when you're on vacation? Because that can be challenging. And she said, well, I'm going to need some downtime. And I said, so you're going to have that conversation before you even leave. When I need downtime, I'm going to need to go back to the room and read my book. Um, what do you need from me to make this vacation work well? And so just those simple little things that we can say to each other, here's what I need, or here's what happens when I'm in conflict. I tend to shut down. Well, let's talk about how we can do that. So neither one of us feels shut down. Or I had a client whose boyfriend would leave the house because he didn't want to react and get angry at her and lose his cool. And he would sometimes be gone for an un undisclosed amount of time and she would freak out and think the relationship was over. So it's that conversation. Would you be willing to take a walk around the block or give me a time frame as to when you're going to be ready to come back? Cause I want to be able to talk with you about this issue. Yeah. So those yeah. are just some examples of like, yeah. just talking it out. Yeah. And, and one of the things that you, you allude to in that is because part of negotiation is, expanding and thinking, okay, there's, there's probably more options because he was thinking that the guy was thinking introvert means this extrovert means this, and that doesn't go together. And she's saying, what if one of the areas I would pat me and Dory, my wife's name, Dory, uh, pat ourselves on the back. We, we are really good at negotiating. 
And if you were to overhear our conversations about working through something or making decisions, is that you would hear phrases, Sandy, like, hey, what if, what do you think about, you know, one possibility is, you know, something we could try. And so it's, I mean, we're not walking on eggshells, but you hear the gentleness and the tentativeness of the, of the language. You don't, one of us doesn't say, well, the thing we need to do is, okay. or I think it's pretty obvious that the solution is we're both by you know, background competitive tennis players. We use the analogy, the metaphor of when we're negotiating, we refer to it as keeping the ball in the air because mm. we're, we're keeping the ball in the air with the goal of keeping it going with what if, what do you think about to sort of narrow, it's almost like picture a ping pong match or a tennis match that's happening in a funnel (laughs) and we're narrowing down the options, but here's the thing. The goal is, and for us, there's not an alternative to this. We keep the ball in the air and we may even pause, you know, come back to the conversation that the goal is, landing on a position that both of us can genuinely live with. That mean we have to like it the same, but both of us can genuinely get on board and, and support, support that, that decision. I like that. I mean, I love the language. I think using kind words, using open language, instead of this is the ultimatum, it has to be my way or the highway, which is what happens in, couples that don't work out is, well, we have to do this. I can't change. Um, This is just the way I am. And, you know, so, um, well, this conversation is fascinating. I know we could talk for a very long time, but we do have to, uh, we do have to come to a close. So as we're closing, what are your final words of advice for anyone who wants to go on their last first date? Besides keeping an index card of these, these five, 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 right. Be patient with yourself and and the other and the other person. You know, we're we're, we're suggesting. I mean, here's here's some uh, caution flags and, and and green lights. One of the places, particularly again, out out of our out of our pain, is that we can be we risk judging early or you know being being fearful. And the first time that someone disappoints us. One of the things that we we talk about as couples therapists, and this is true for for any relationship, if if the relationship, if the couple dates long enough, there will be a moment of the experience of disillusionment, which is a little bit stronger than disappointing, but the experience of you let me down or you hurt me or this didn't go as well as I thought. And any relationship is going to have that. Um, how how they have respond to that. Now, now that means okay, we, there needs to be some non-negotiables and some some deal breakers, but not okay. Well, you know, one strike and you and you're out. That the moment that I experience some disillusionment or or, or uncertainty or disappointment, that that's the signal that you're done. I. Th- I think we would hope someone wouldn't do that with us. <laughs> so it's um, offering 
a bit of what we ourselves would hope for, and that's some some margins of uh, grace. And that also means that I I offer myself some grace because it means I, I may make some mistakes. So sometimes the person that I need to not judge is myself and give myself a bit of grace. Yeah, that's so true. I think that the more we do that, the more forgiving we can be of others. Mm -hmm. And I, I was just on a call today with somebody who was, she's at the three month mark and is starting to see the disillusionment and the flaws are becoming apparent, but they also just spent two weeks living together for the first time. And so some of it is this period where you start to see the flaws in another person, but also there were other things, you know, at play and it's important to take a look at, is it the relationship itself or are these things negotiable, you know, and, and see how you work through all the challenges. Cause I think I always say how we deal with crisis is everything, how we deal with any challenge says so much about our character and who we become. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, when they, like you said, they're, you know, that living together those two weeks, uh, I, I tell couples, you know, we, we typically don't know what our expectations are until they're not met. And our <laughs> reaction lets us know, oh, apparently I expected you to know to get off a video game when I come come in. Yeah, I, I've, I've said to premarital couples, I, you know, I, I could give them both legal pads and say, I want you to write out all your expectations that you have for one another. And each of them would, you know, write, right, be faithful. And then they would get writer's block. <laughs> what do I expect if you're going to be more than an hour late? Call me. I, I, I don't know. It's because we usually discover what our expectations are in a relationship when they're not met. And our reaction <laughs> lets us know. And so we need to ignore all right, some of my uh, expectations uh, certainly are unspoken if they are have been undiscovered until now. But are some of my expectations you know, realistic? But then that comes into you know, bringing these other things into play, particularly you know, communication. How, how do we navigate and negotiate? you know, now that we're you know living together, like the person who is very personal and relational, but needs some, some solitude because that recharges her battery. The partner doesn't and shouldn't take that personally and internalize, well, you don't, you don't want to spend time with me. Yeah. No, that happens no. a lot. That happens a lot, especially with older couples who are so used to solitude and being alone being able to negotiate space and time and not take it personally that the other person just needs alone time. I mean, it's all of these negotiations are so important and I'm glad you brought up the negotiation piece. So tell us, tell our audience how they can find you. According to Google, I'm the only person on the planet with my name. Uh, (laughs) It's uh, Raymond or Ramon. I like it the way you said it, Ramon. Yeah. It's, (laughs) international uh, it's r-a-m-o-n and it's press on like press on and if you g- google that there isn't going to be anyone else that shows up so uh you'll probably see raymond Preston therapy i have the books 
listed there, the ones that I did with Gary Chapman. Uh, I, I wrote a book that he did the forward for titled When Will My Life Not Suck? One of the articles that has been of interest, you know, recently because it's been such a buzzword uh, in, in the in the culture the past year is I've written a article called Gaslighting 101. People are hearing about it and like, what does that mean? And I, I think I've been experienced that or experienced that in relationships. So how do I know when that's happening or how do I respond? So, you know, I've got that at PDF or a Word document. I'm glad to just, you know, email that in my email address again, because my <laughs> person with my name is just Raymond Preston at Gmail. Well, thank you. And uh, that will all be in the show notes as well. And I really appreciate you coming on the show, Raymond. And I'll call you by Raymond Ramon. Whatever. Yeah, I like. I li- yeah, I like. I like the Ramon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. I like that you're open to a sexy version of your name. <laughs> well, and I, I, I tell my, I like to tell my wife, you know, Dory, you, you realize that you can't spell romance without the letters R A M O N. It was just built into the relationship. Yeah, Yeah. I love it. Well, thanks everybody for listening today. Uh, If you love our show, please give us a high rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us so much in continuing to grow the show. We are in our 10th year now and we're going strong. So uh, as always, here's to your last first date. If you are ready to get unstuck, gain new tools, become more empowered, and finally find your last first date, I'd love to talk to you. Fill out an application to be considered for a complimentary half-hour love breakthrough session at lastfirstdate.com forward slash application. That's lastfirstdate.com forward slash application. I look forward to talking to you soon.